Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. I'm your host, Heather E. Wilson, and on today's episode, I have two guests. I welcome Gordon Glantz, founder and head distiller of Odd Society Spirits, and Mia Glantz, bar manager of Odd Society Cocktail Lounge, located in East Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And today, we chat about how it all started, their philosophy on product development, of course, all their gins, and so, so much more. Welcome, Gord and Mia. Thanks for having us. Yes, happy it's to great be to, here. Yeah. Great to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Not very often I get two guests at once. So this is a double the pleasure for sure. And uh, so Mia, since you are the cocktail expert, I'm going to let you go first and share what are you drinking today? Well, one of my favorite drinks that we've created at Odd Society is the Ambrosia. It's really cool because it, it sounds on paper that it would be like colored and but it's actually completely translucent. It has our wallflower gin, vanilla infused Bianco martini vermouth, has beet and rose geranium leaf syrup, interesting vanilla minty like floral flavor to it. And there's a little bit of angelica bitters. So it's very floral. It's really great for spring. It's strong. Yes. It's one of my favorites. Awesome. Wow, that sounds absolutely delicious. So today I'm having a time for a gimlet, which is one of your recipes. And it also uses the wallflower gin and your thyme and sage simple syrup, which is delicious, and lime juice. It's such a lovely twist on a gimlet, super tasty and not overly complicated to make by any means. So cheers. Cheers to you. Mmm, yummy. Okay, so let's get into it. Gord, since you were the official founder, let's talk about you first and about your background. Like, did you always love gin? Like, was it your life passion to become a distiller? Tell me the story about, you know, you and how you came to be a distiller. It started very early. So what happened was I grew up in Edmonton and my parents were from East Germany and my mom often went on sort of strange kicks. At one point, she read that there was something wrong with Edmonton drinking water. And so she went out and bought a still. And so she would distill the family drinking water. Wow. And then we were told, you know, you don't drink water from the tap. You got to grab it from the fridge. And so that went on for several years. And then my brothers and I were in high school and we started to make beer and wine just on our own. And then one day we just spotted the still and a light went on and go, oh my God, we got a still. So then we started taking our beer and wine, unbeknownst to my parents, and then distilling it in the family sort of water still and making really horrific alcohol <laughs> that we, you know, drink right. at a party or whatever. 
you know, fast forward a lot of years. And that's where it really all started. I think I had this love of distilling and making alcohol from wow. way back when. And then I went to Harriet Watt University in Scotland and studied oh. bringing distilling. But I went when I was 50. Wow. It just kind of came full circle that I was working high tech, technical writing. And one day I was surfing the internet and I saw the, the program in Scotland and I phoned my wife, Miriam, and I said, I know what I want to do when I grow up. I want to do distilling. So the next year we went to Scotland and checked it out and ended up going to Harriet Watt. So, yeah. Wow. That's quite the journey. Yeah. When you said you started distilling when you were in high school, I thought for sure you were going to say that you started this when you were like 20 or something. Yeah. <laughs> so Quite a gap. Yes, there's a huge gap for sure. But yeah, I know it's been amazing. It's been great and it has been quite a journey. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then you went to Scotland, you got training. And so then what happened? How did the Odd Society come into fruition? Yeah, so then we came back and it takes, you know, a while to sort of pull it all together. So we found a place and started setting up and we finally opened in 2013. So this year is our 10th anniversary. And our first product was actually, we started with, of course, vodka. Mm. And then our second product, our neighbor is a French chef. And he said, oh, you know, you have to make creme de cassis, you know. <laughs> so he, <laughs> That's an so odd he second product. <laughs> yeah. So it was so bizarre. And actually, now it's one of our best-selling products. At the right. time, it was, okay, we'll try it. But it's amazing to have someone come in and say, this is how it's made. This is how you do it, you know. And I realize that now, you know, when trying to develop new products, you know, you realize what a gift that was. Right. So then our third product was actually oh. was our wallflower gin. Okay. All right. So the name Odd Society. Now, there must be a story behind that. Where did that name come from? We were working with this like amazing design company to help us get our brand going and all that. And then they were asking us a bunch of questions, you know, to try and figure out you know, what direction to take the branding and all that. So we talked about, oh, we, you know, we'd like to be maybe like a club or a society that people could join or like whatever we would be a society. And then it was just, okay, well, what kind of society? And then it was just, I guess, just a look around the room and odd society, you know. So that's that's kind of where the name came from. Okay. So it wasn't too challenging to come up with the name. It came fairly mm -hmm. early on. Yeah. The name came right fairly early on. We were odd society and yeah. Okay. Awesome. So Mia, are you involved in product development as well or mostly more on the cocktail side? I created one product that we produce. It's the Mia Amata Amaro a few years ago. It's a, so for the listeners who don't know, it's Amaro is bittersweet Italian style liqueur. Like gin, it's the flavor comes from botanicals, but the botanicals are infused into the spirit as opposed to distilled. And it usually has a lot more botanicals than gin. So I created that, but since then, I've just kind of stuck to the cocktails in the, in the lounge. So what was it like kind of growing up <laughs> with parents that have a bit of a distilling background dream, but hadn't quite realized it yet. Did you hear stories about when your dad was young making various alcohols in the water still? <laughs> well, I don't know if I remember that hearing what that, but I do remember, I don't think he mentioned it, but he spent a year in Germany working at a vineyard. Oh. And we visited the first time I went to Europe was Germany. We landed in Dusseldorf and visited the family my dad worked with, the vineyard. Mm -hmm. That was the first time. I think maybe you should tell the story about your experience 
there? Yeah, so I went to Germany right after high school. I went for a year. There's another crazy story. Like I had finished high school and, you know, my dad said, oh, you know, we have this project I'm working on. And one of the partners, believe it or not, has a vineyard in Germany. And I go, oh, wow, that'd be so cool. I'd love to work there. My dad says, okay, well, we're having a meeting this afternoon. I'll ask him. So then I had voiced it that just out of a whim. I said, oh, I'd love to go to Germany and work on a vineyard. And after meeting, my dad said, oh, it's all set. You're going in September. (laughs) So two months later, I was on a plane and going to Germany. And so I lived with this family and they had a vineyard. And this other cool thing is they also had stills. Mm. So, you know, they would kind of just distill some of the leftover stuff from the wine. And they weren't big into brandy, but they had something I'd never heard of before. They had a yeast liqueur called Hefeschnaps. You know, it's like the leftover lees and with all the yeast, they would distill that. And actually, that was really quite tasty. But I remember really liking the distilling part way more than winemaking part. And I remember sort of the epitome, I think, that Mia's talking about that I've mentioned before was, I think I was done for the day they had a very small still house. So I walked into the still house and I saw their distiller who was in this big comfy chair. He'd fallen asleep in front of the stills. Mm. Like he's watching the stills, but he was just there sort of passed out in front of the stills. That whole scene I still have in my mind. And right there and then I said, you know, I want to be a distiller. <laughs> <laughs> comfy job. I'm sure yes. you realized it is not. The reason why oh he was asleep was the work involved. Yeah. Oh, my God. If I, <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Okay. So Odd Society is considered a craft distiller, correct? That's right. Okay. So let's define what craft means. So what does craft mean to you? And I know BC has an actual definition, I believe. To be craft in BC is very specific. So 100% of the base, you know, grain, I guess, whatever you use to make your alcohol must be grown in the province. We can't buy from Alberta or Saskatchewan or Washington. The grain has to be grown in the province. We have to ferment on site and distill on site. And the big thing is we're not allowed to buy any outside alcohol. So we're not allowed to buy neutral grain spirit, for example. Like I think most gin distilleries start with neutral grain and then like alcohol is an ingredient like all the others and you're not required to make your own. But to be craft, we have to do the whole process, you know, make our alcohol and then make our gin. So that's sort of the official craft. And then, I mean, for us, I think craft is just, we're trying to, with all our stuff, just find something, you know, that makes us unique and unique to BC and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So then you source your botanicals from BC as well. Some of them. So, for example, our main botanicals, most of them are not from BC. Some are, you know, like juniper, we actually get from Bulgaria and you know, coriander's Canadian. So we source what we can locally. In fact, we have a gin that's super local that we love. It's very popular, but it's not available this time of year. It's a Salal gin. So we've made a slow gin, but slows don't grow here sort of naturally. So we were looking for a local equivalent and we found Salal berries, which grow all throughout the Pacific Northwest. And so we have a super popular, it's in the fall, it's called Salal gin. You know, you could only do that on the Pacific Northwest because that's where those berries grow. And that's the kind of thing that we really like to do. That's amazing. Okay. So we've been hinting at the various gin products. So let's talk first about your wallflower gin, and then you can tell me more about some of the other gins, not the one you just mentioned, because we already know about that one. So wallflower was your third product that you ever created, correct? 
Correct. Yeah. Okay. So what is special about it and what botanicals are kind of its key flavors? So it's kind of the funny story about how it came to be. So we wanted to do a gin. You know, we said, okay, we want to do a gin. And so Miriam and I just happened, we hadn't started doing our gin yet. We happened to be in a theater and we're going to see a movie. The movie theater's dark. And they came on, they showed the movie and the movie was called Wallflower. And I talked about this movie called Wallflower. And it wasn't the movie itself, but I leaned over to Miriam and I said, Wallflower, that would make a great name for a gin. Mm, yeah. And she said, yeah. And that was kind of it done. And then so we had the name of the gin. We said, okay, we're doing a gin called Wallflower. And then I did research. And then there's actually a wallflower that grows in British Columbia. But it turned out it was on the endangered list. Oh. So we can't use endangered you know, no. flowers in our, right. in, our, in our gin. That wouldn't be right. We ended up building the gin around the name. So our gin is very floral. What makes it unique, it has three floral ingredients, rose petal, elderflower, and lavender. Mm. But it's actually quite surprisingly super heavy on juniper. I think we probably add more juniper than most other gins out there. But somehow they're just masked by the florals and they sort of keep the juniper flavor in check. So, you know, you don't get that super piney gin forward flavor surprisingly so but the main and i guess more unusual ingredients are the three florals mm -hmm. yeah i would definitely from my perspective it's floral and not juniper forward at all and it's interesting that you say that you actually use a ton of juniper in it because i would never have known that it's yeah. very, very well. Yeah. And also, I think it seems to hold up really well in cocktails. And I mm. think maybe you do get our flavor coming through. So I think that might have to do with the juniper, you know, giving it a strong backbone. And yeah, yeah. it has like a great presence in cocktails and it's really versatile. Like it works in amazing martini, gimlet, and obviously yeah. floral. Yeah, it works very well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so wallflower gin and then your seasonal fall gin. Do you have any other gins? So, yeah, we've got a couple other ones and we've been experimenting. So we've got one coming out in a couple of weeks. It's very simple, a strawberry gin. We did it for Valentine's Day. And last year for Valentine's Day, we had done a port barrel finished gin. So we finished our gin in a freshly dumped port barrel. Mm -hmm. And that was super popular. It had this nice reddish color from the port barrel. It sold out right away. And then this year we thought, okay, we didn't have a port barrel that was ready. But we wanted to do a reddish gin for Valentine's Day. And I came across an article that said, believe it or not, that strawberry flavored gin was the best selling gin in Britain. So I said, OK, you know, it sort of wasn't quite, I don't know, we thought maybe it's too commercial, whatever. We were sort of a debate. Either. So I just said, we're doing it. And so <laughs> we found a local farmer who grows strawberries out in the valley. And then so we did it. And the little experiment that I did, it was OK. But the final product sold out almost instantly. And so we're doing it again for Mother's Day, you know, and maybe it'll become a regular product. But yeah, the strawberry and our gin just seem to do really well together and surprise mm. us all, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> the color's really like vibrant and pink. So that's part of it. I mean, this pink label and it's really like cute. And yeah. Yeah. And you can make some really cute cocktails with it, I bet. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that's quite exciting. So Actually, tomorrow we're going out to the farm and picking up the strawberries again. So we'll probably we'll infuse it for about a week. And so we'll be bottling it end of next week. So that's kind of exciting. Wow. All righty. So I know you have other stuff besides gin, as you've been mentioning. And there is the lounge, too. So what other things, tours, experiences, products could 
you know, fans expect if they were to come visit you or go in your online shop? Actually, when we first opened 10 years ago, the laws changed about six months after we had opened. But originally, we thought we were just going to be serving samples Mm. and do a tasting, but very quickly changed. And we kind of converted into a cocktail bar. So we're open till 11, but we have like a full cocktail list. We have 15 house cocktails that change every season. There's a huge selection, like almost too much. And then we have specials and I make very elaborate drinks. So I like to do things that people aren't able to create at home. Right. So people are definitely coming in for the atmosphere and the cocktails. And then also to be drinking right in the same location. Everything is made from grain to bottle is really special. So definitely visiting us is a good experience. And do you get people walk off the street? Kind of like, are you in a location that it's easy for people just to walk in and come try out? We're not super far away from the downtown of Vancouver, but... I guess conceptually, it feels really far away because it's a very different neighborhood. 10 minute drive, but in Vancouver terms, it feels like bars. We're in the brewery district, so we're in an industrial neighborhood. Only neighborhood where you could find, like, the, we could fulfill the requirements of a distillery, like having a high ceiling and all that. So our neighbors are mainly industrial. We don't get a lot of people walking in. This summer, people are visiting the breweries. So there's like groups that are kind of like wandering the neighborhood and they might come in. But generally, it's a destination type place. Okay, cool. Okay, so what would you say is your biggest challenge as a distiller and business owner? Wow. I know there's lots. So pick a big one. It's amazing to be able to create these products and do what we do and have, you know, this unique place that we've created. But it's a massively competitive industry and there's so many players. So it's just hard to, you know, you really have to be on top of things and offer things new and and keep people's interest in what you're doing and in your gin. Because, you know, I can just see like if you're a bar owner, you know, you have a thousand gins to choose from you know, and, or whatever, you know, pick a number, but there's just so much out there. And then why do you choose that one? And you have room for five gins on your back bar or whatever. So I think the challenge is just staying relevant, being out there, keeping people excited about what you do and having stuff that people like, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's running a business. Is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Staying on top of things is pretty much a challenge for any business for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on that note, I know you have your strawberry gin coming up, but what's next for you and the distillery and the lounge and everything? It's super fun and exciting that we did, and it's going to culminate very soon. We had a program, this isn't really booze-related, but it's sort of lounge-related. So we had our whiskey barrels, and during COVID, we built a whiskey barrel wall, like with the small barrels, mm-hmm. you know, to separate the room in two and create, you know, some barriers. Oh. So we had this wall of small barrels, and then we at some point just decided, hey, we should start getting, to make them look better, let's get artists to start painting them. So what we did was we started this program where we give the barrel to a local artist and they would paint them. And then we said right from the start, we're going to have a charity auction at the end. And then after COVID, we got rid of the wall and we cut the end off the barrel. And so it fits on the wall. But I think we're going to have close to like 25 barrel ends. Honestly, they're spectacular. Like the artwork is just wonderful. So that sort of covers the wall in our lounge. So in about a month or two, We're going to have an online charity auction that ends at the distillery. But then we have to think about all this artwork is gone. 
we're going to have to repaint a yeah. bit of a spruce up renovation and figure out, you know, maybe we change the look of our lounge as well. So that's kind of exciting. And we've had on Instagram, if you go on our Instagram, you can see a lot of the barrels and just how amazing they are, you know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the link to your Instagram will be in the show notes for anyone who's listening. So you can check out those barrels. That'll be cool. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about anything or any questions that I didn't ask you that you wanted me to? You know, if people are interested in our products, we have a Shopify shop and we ship across Canada. So if anybody wanted to, you know, try our stuff, you know, they could just go online. Absolutely. And we'll mention that in the show notes too. So Okay, cool. It'll be there for all time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, there you have it. Everything you ever wanted to know about Odd Society Spirits, their product development, what it means to be craft in BC, all their yummy products, some really fun stories, and so much more. Thank you, Gord and Mia, for being here today. Thank Thank you. you It was a pleasure. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. And thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and check out the show notes for all the links to the Odd Society and the ginshop.ca for all your gin, clothing, and novelty needs. Until next time, remember, I'm not hard to buy for. You know exactly where the gin aisle is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspired, brought to you by the ginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, let us know by leaving us a comment and a review. Or drop us a note at heather at theginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be ginned.